You know, they say you can't buy love. But it turns out it's pretty expensive anyway, <laughs> if you really stop to think about it. In fact, there was a, a study that was done to see just sort of how expensive it is. And so they came up with the fact that to move from the first date <clears throat> through I do at the altar, the average cost is $72,082.57. I don't know how they got quite that precise, but, but that's what they said. Of course, the majority of that has to do with the wedding. And then next comes the engagement, together with the engagement ring. And the last are the dates that you go through, the cost of the dates during that courtship. And they even studied that and came up with a number. And of course, the number goes up depending on where you live. Because if you live in a place that has a, like a lot of choice of, of restaurants and unique ones and maybe expensive ones and, and also lots of things to do, the cost is higher in those cities. So they came up with this number that the average cost of <clears throat> a year of dating, of courtship, in New York City is about $4,200. The amount in Chicago is about $3,800. The amount in Washington, D.C. is about $3,600. The amount in Chippewa is $142.50. That, that's, like, that's like it, right? Um, and that probably shouldn't surprise you a whole lot because there's not all that many restaurants or, or necessarily things to do. And it shouldn't really surprise you because the most recent big restaurant news in Chippewa was that the combined KFC Taco Bell became a separate KFC Taco Bell. I mean, that's pretty much what we've had going on. It's the, the cost is higher in Moon, higher in Moon, because you now have a milkshake factory. That's all, I could spend $142.50 at Milkshake Factory alone in a year. Of course, I have heard rumor, there's always rumors, that there is a new building coming to Chippewa. I'm guessing it's probably going to be another auto parts store. Because if there's anything Chippewa needs, it's another auto parts store, right? All right, it's probably not going to be that Olive Garden that has been rumored for at least 20 years now, they've been saying. So, by these calculations, it turns out that the cost of love apparently is over $72,000. Now, I think that all of us also know that the cost of love isn't just financial that it actually goes well beyond that, and neither is it just limited to romantic love. There's all kinds of other love that has a cost, like in the family, or among close friendships, or in the church. Absolutely, in the church. In fact, today we're going to take a look at a passage that talks about the cost of love, specifically as it comes to relationships that we might be in or might enter into. And I would love for you to turn to the passage we're going to be looking at. It's, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We've been in this study. It's called Strength and Weakness, part two. We're looking at the last chapters of 2 Corinthians, and we're in the second part of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians here today, and I'd love to have you looking at it as we make our way along. Now, if you've been on the receiving end of the sort of love that we're going to be talking about today, you know it. It's captured you because there is something very unique and there's something very different about it. And you've seen that. You've recognized it. In fact, this oftentimes is the sort of thing that influences a person toward Christ. 
Because they see somebody who, or they experience from somebody, the sort of love that we're going to see on display here today, and the cost of that love, and they're like, wow, there is something different going on here. They can see that there's something unique and genuine in this person's life, and it just influences them in the direction of the gospel. It's like, whatever is going on there, there's something real, there's something different, and it makes a difference, and it changes hearts, and it influences people toward Christ. And if you've ever been on the end where you're actually showing the sort of love that we're going to be talking about today, that's only because there's been some transformation that has taken place in your mind, in your heart, and in your life, because left alone, this is not a direction that we would go. This is not an activity that we would enter into because it's not in us on our own. But we're willing to express and pay the cost of love, as it were, when this comes over us when we really come to understand what this is all about. So today we're going to look at some characteristics of a person who's motivated to pay the cost of love. We're going to see it first of all here as we look at it in in the Apostle Paul, and then we're going to contemplate, well, what exactly does that mean? Or what does that look like as we extend that forward into our lives as well? So that's where we're going. There's a few characteristics I want to point out that are represented in the cost of love, all right? And the first of those characteristics of the cost of love is that it goes to any length. Goes to any length. Now, if you've ever been in love, you know this, right? You know that there are things that you are motivated to go and do because of love that is present within you. And if you don't know, you could always go and look up the story of Justin Cordella. He was a guy who was madly in love with his girlfriend, and he was afraid that he was going to be losing her, that she was just starting to get a bit distant, and he wanted to do something to draw her back. Well, what he knew was that she was also a very compassionate person, so he rationalized, if I do something or if something happens to me that's very traumatic, if something happens to me, then she's going to have her compassionate side rise up and she's going to be drawn back to me. That was his thinking anyway. And so he came up with a plan. His plan to have her compassion rise toward him was to hire a couple of guys to shoot him. That was his plan. I'm going to hire a couple of guys to shoot me. And he did. And they did. And you want to know the result? The result is that those guys got arrested And she dumped him because she said, you're an idiot. (laughs) So it didn't work out so well for him, but he most definitely was motivated by this sort of love. And we see that all around us. And if you've been in love, you've experienced this for yourself. It's moved you to go off in some direction. This is the sole reason, by the way, that any guy ever watches a Hallmark movie. Yeah, because it's motivated because it's part of the cost of love is what it is, guys. You you just know you're, you're paying the price. That's what it's about. Well, in our passage here, we find the Apostle Paul doing some things that he would never do if it weren't for the love that he feels inside toward these people, toward the church there in Corinth. So let's go ahead and take a look at what this is all about and what, and what it says. All right, verse 16 is where we get jumping into our passage today, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse, 6, verse 16. Again, there's an outline, as always, for you available in your pathway notes. Jot some of the stuff down as, as we go. Verse 16, I repeat, this is Paul, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. 
Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. Paul's basically saying, you know what? I'm embarrassed. He's saying, this, this just is not me. This boasting stuff, this is not, not how I live. This is not who I am. But because there are these things that are going on, because you people, you, you Corinthians in the church are being led astray by all these, uh, these false teachers who've come on the scene, I'm willing to do anything. What are we saying? I'm willing to go to any length for your sake. That's what this is about. Now, normally you would think, well, look, anytime somebody's boasting, they're out of line. In fact, you might even consider it to be sinful. And I get that. But that's not what's going on here. Because we need to consider the motivation that is behind the boasting, quote-unquote, that Paul is doing in this context. See, normally when we boast, we do it for the sake of, of building ourselves up or perhaps tearing somebody else down. It's all very much self-serving, but that's not what's going on here. Paul's not doing this for any self-serving motives or reason. He calls it boasting, but it's not to lift himself up. It's to protect the church. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to work for the benefit of those people who are getting led astray and also for the building up and the, and the honoring of Christ. That's what's going on here. There's no doubt that the church's protection is on his mind and because they're being led astray. So he speaks to them, and he does it a little bit forcefully. I mean, he kind of gets in their faces. Look at verse 19. It says to them, You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. Right? Okay, you can just kind of hear this in, in the words that are on the page. Now, the Corinthians thought themselves to be very much enlightened, very much informed people. And they loved it when these traveling teachers and philosophers would, would come to town and, and they'd always be there and they'd be like on the front row and they'd be listening and they're like, we're really cool, hip people because we're listening to the latest in philosophy. And, and they were, but they were allowing it all to sort of infiltrate into their hearts and they're following after. And Paul says, look at all of the things that they're doing to you that you're willing to just sort of go along with blindly. As he goes on, it says, in fact... You even put up with anyone who enslaves you. This is what he's saying these false teachers are doing. Enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. They're being taken advantage of. And they're just blindly saying, okay, because we're cool, because we're enlightened. And they're treating them very poorly. In fact, they're in league with Satan as we talked about Last week, there's a doom that is coming their direction, but they just don't see it. So Paul responds by saying in verse 21, To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Now, you have to read this with a bit of sarcasm or understanding sarcasm on Paul's part. You see, these false teachers would have come in and they would have criticized Paul. They're saying, yeah, he's too weak to teach like we do. He's too weak to think like we think. He's too weak to, to get you to pay him money like we're getting you to pay us money. All sorts of different realms they were working in here. See, it's, it's Paul's backhanded way of saying, yeah, right, I'm too weak to treat you as poorly as what they're treating you. He says, fine, you want to call me weak? Fine, we're just too weak to enter into it the way that you are. So put yourself in Paul's situation here for a moment. What's happened is that Paul's made great sacrifices to come to Corinth. Originally, 
He came to Corinth. He traveled. All of the, it was difficult to travel in those days. There were expense to it. There were great dangers to it. So he comes to Corinth. Nobody there is in a church. There is no church. And so he preaches to them. He tells them about Christ. He shares his heart. He shares his life. He trains them in the ways of the Lord. They come into the fellowship, and, or they come to trust Christ, and, and now they are in this church that Paul has formed. Paul's given everything for them. And he's gone away and he's come back and he's gone away and he keeps praying for them and he writes to them to assist them. He's pouring out everything on their behalf. And now these Johnny-come-latelys come on the scene, these false teachers, and they're basically working to lead these people astray. At the same time, they're saying, and you should not listen to this Paul guy. And these people that Paul has worked so hard with are now in this situation where they're saying, yeah, we love what you're saying. Keep talking. And so they're dismissing Paul. And now the church is starting to dismiss Paul. These are the very people that Paul has just poured out his heart for. Now, how many of us might be in a, in a context or sort of have a mindset that would say, all right, fine. I'm not going to keep arguing with you. If that's what you want, if you want to pursue that, fine. You just go ahead and you do that. I'm going to stop fighting with you. But just when things aren't working out for you so well, don't come running to me. I mean, would any of us kind of think that way or maybe feel that way when you're getting such poor treatment from people you've just poured yourself out to? I think a lot of us would respond that way. It's kind of a normal thing to do, but here's the thing. Paul is not a normal guy. The depth of his love is such that he's willing to take this offense that they're doling out to him right on the chin. And instead of running from them, instead of pushing them away, he takes the offense on the chin and he just keeps working on their behalf. That's the cost of love. That's going to any length. And I kind of wonder, is there someone or some relationship that you're in where you need to go to any length? Maybe it's somebody who's offended you. Maybe it's someone who's doled something out that you've had to sort of take on the chin. And it hasn't been fun. And it's been harmful. And you might feel sort of justified in turning them away and being angry and dismissing them and pushing them away and wanting absolutely nothing to do with them. Maybe you are justified for cutting them out. But maybe you're in a position to seek to move them toward health or toward truth. As with Paul here, it might require that we would actually look, overlook an offense, even from someone that has pushed us aside. Could we ever bring ourselves to operate in that sort of realm? I understand. We get very worked up. Somebody does something, it's harmful, it's hurtful. You might even know that they had poor motives in the whole thing, just like these guys do. And Paul's response, he's going to continue to work on their behalf. He's going to be willing to endure the offense and not allow it to create a separation, but rather to continue to work, to continue to press forward, to continue to call them to a place of health. Why would you do that? Because you're willing to go to any length. Because that's the cost of biblical love. Paul shows it to us here. We certainly see it in the person of Christ. We celebrated it as we enjoyed communion. 
with one another? You might say, nope, can't do it. Nope, won't do it. You don't know how painful the hurt is. And I'm not dismissing in any way, shape, or form the depth of the pain that you've experienced in some situation or some circumstance. What I am inviting you to do is to consider the cost of love that we see demonstrated again and again in the Scriptures. Could it be that there's a circumstance, a relationship that you're in? You're thinking about it right now. You might even be pretty resistant to what I'm saying. Where you might just start to pray. Lord, would you have me pay the cost of love in that relationship? Is that what you're calling me to? And listen to what he says and respond. The cost of love, it goes to any length. That's what we see here. Also, it's driven by purpose. It's the second thing. It's driven by purpose. As Paul continues, he gets into some of this foolish boasting that he's been talking about. You can see it as we go on here. Second half of verse 21, we pick it up there. It says, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. See, these false teachers were claiming that they've got some special pedigree because they were Jewish because they were from Judea, because they were of, among God's chosen people. And so we're the ones, you should listen to us. They might not have known that Paul was also. Paul says, you know what, you don't have to be Jewish. You don't need to be a, an Israelite. You don't need to be of God's chosen people in order to be used mightily by God. But he says, fine, if you want to use that as a basis of argument, I am too. I have all the same credentials that you have. And then going on, Paul could have just so easily just put them in their place. He could have given his own resume that would have been so immensely impressive to anybody that would have listened, including themselves, on their scale, according to the way that they made their judgments. As D.A. Carson points out, this passage very well could have said if Paul wanted to, Something like this. I, Paul, have established more churches. I've preached the gospel in more lands and to more ethnic groups. I've traveled more miles. I've won more converts. I have written more books. I've raised more money. I've walked with God more fervently and seen more visions. I've commanded the greatest crowds and performed the most spectacular miracles. If Paul wanted to play their game, he could have, and he could have trumped anything that they possibly could have said. but he doesn't. That's not the direction he goes. He goes a different direction. Look what he said instead. Verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? He says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. 
who wants to be like Paul. That's quite a resume, isn't it? Quite a, quite a resume. The false teachers couldn't come close to matching that. And here's the thing. They would never have been willing to try. Because they're in it for themselves. There's no cost of love that they're paying. They're in it for themselves. This is a resume of sacrifice, something that they knew nothing about. Now, it's kind of interesting that Paul goes here and gives this list of things that he does because he knows that the false teachers are going to turn that against him. And you know their rationale is this. It's like, okay, this Paul dude, he's experienced all of those things. That just means that God's not with him because if God was with him, things would go better than that for him. God obviously has nothing to do with him. This is some of the first prosperity gospel teaching that you find is that sort of response that if you experience any difficulty, God isn't with you. He's not touching your life. But that's not at all what this means here. What Paul is revealing here are just some of his own troubles. He's just saying, let me be frank and honest with you. These are my challenges. In fact, this is my weakness. But you see, the beauty is that the weakness that Paul is experiencing when he acknowledges it, when he lives it out, he's allowing the strength of God to shine through. You see, Paul's greatest de desire was God's greatest glory. Paul's greatest desire was God's greatest glory. And if it required that he would be beaten and stoned, if it required that he would sail treacherous seas, he's on board with that, so to speak. See, this is strength and weakness. And Paul's willing to live this life because he's driven by purpose. God's purpose. And at the end of this list of suffering that we just read through, we get to verse 28. He adds this, Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That's his calling to the churches, to build them, to strengthen them, to lead them. That's his purpose. That's what he's willing to do. He says, who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who's led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Paul's just saying that when the church suffers, he suffers. When the church hurts, he hurts. He feels it like it's his own. His internal purpose is to help the church to thrive and to give whatever is necessary to make that a reality, to move them to God's best place for them. So I wonder, where do you feel that sort of pull? Do you? That sort of pull that is willing to go to any length, that pull where you recognize that God's call on your life is to be a blessing, to serve, to minister, to assist, to give your all, to have a resume that is that sacrificial. Now, my guess is that most all of us would pretty readily say, well, family. I can see myself doing that for family. I can see myself giving my life for my family. And that's awesome. And I'm not surprised by that because we have a lot of great families around Pathway. A lot of people who are pouring themselves out for the sake of their kids and 
If you'll allow me, though, this passage isn't just talking about your immediate family or even your extended family. This passage is talking about your spiritual family. That's where we see Paul engaging. We're all called to work toward the benefit of one another, to help where there's hurt, to serve where there's need, to give where there's been loss. That's our call. Love one another, serve one another, benefit one another, look to those who are in need, meet them in their need. It's our purpose. It's our call. It's the cost of love. And if we want to fully enter in, if we want to take the model that we see in Christ, if we want to see the model that we see or live out the model that we see in Paul, it's not enough to just sort of flit around the edges to do my own thing, to live my own consumeristic, individualistic spiritual experience. But to engage, to jump in, to look for the needs that are around and then to do something about them. The cost of love goes to any length. It's driven by purpose and also, one more thing, it puts others first. Now, after all we've been talking about, it seems that that would go without saying, but Paul says it. He goes on. There's more that he says. It's kind of interesting, a little bit unusual too. Let's take a look at it. Verse 30 says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. He's saying, I'm swearing by God. In Damascus, the governor under King Eratos had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. You may know that Paul was headed for Damascus and something very unusual, dynamic for him in his life happened there, but his purpose in going to Damascus was to persecute Christians. It was to arrest them and make life as difficult as he possibly could, but it was there on the road to Damascus, that's what this passage is talking about, that he encounters Christ, the bright light, the conversion experience that he has there, and it changes everything. He keeps going on into Damascus, but he's not going to arrest the believers now. He's not going to persecute them. Instead, he has a new message, and he proclaims it. Now he's preaching Christ instead of preaching against Christ. And in doing so, that changed everything. It basically made everybody in Damascus either upset or confused. Because the high priest wanted him to go there and to upset things for the Christians. He doesn't do that. And so now all the Jews are disillusioned. They're upset. And the Christians still don't trust him, right? So there's basically nobody in Damascus that's on Paul's side except some kind person who's willing to let him down through a basket through the wall to help him escape because everybody's out to get him. And so Paul makes his escape, which seems kind of cool to us, but it wasn't cool to him. Because Paul would have considered this 
to be failure, probably considered it to be cowardice, to run from the problems. Because as you read the rest of the book of Acts, the rest of the scriptures, you find that Paul is this bold guy who's going to do whatever at any personal cost. So I don't think he liked what's going on here. In fact, so much so that you wouldn't be surprised if this was something that he would have conveniently omitted from this letter that he wrote. But he doesn't omit it. He puts it in. Why? Look back at verse 30 again. He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. See, it was all a demonstration of Paul's willingness to embrace those weaknesses. He's learned over and over again that when he is weak, God is strong. And he's willing to lean into that. He's even willing to embarrass himself. He's willing to go down these roads that we might naturally resist going down. But he does so for the cause of these people and for the cause of Christ. Even in the cities where Paul was opposed and and thrown out of the synagogue and possibly beaten, he continues to press on. He continues to lean right into it. In fact, did you notice as we went through it, one of the things that he says were the, the challenges, the weaknesses he experienced were the 40 lashes minus one. He says he experiences it at least five different times. These are things that most likely happened to him when he went into cities to preach. The first thing he would do when he came into a city is he'd go find the Jewish synagogue and he'd preach there. And his message was essentially, you got it wrong. <laughs> you got to change. How well do you think that went over? Yeah, not so well. And he would oftentimes get thrown out. And probably more than one of these times that he is flogged, that he gets the 40 lashes minus one, happened because he had just went to preach. We know that it stirs up mobs when he preaches. And so Paul knew pretty much essentially every time that he went into one of those synagogues to preach, the outcome was going to be that he gets beaten. And he keeps going. Because there wasn't any length that he wouldn't go to. He knew that it was his purpose. And he knows that he's not going to stop at anything to get this done. Strength in the kingdom of Christ. Strength in the kingdom of Christ was the result of Paul's willingness to live out of his weaknesses. (laughs) If you're like me, you like to hide your weaknesses. I know that that's my first inclination. In fact, sometimes we even get to the place where what we want to do is we want to we manipulate them in some way so that we can actually kind of turn them into strengths. So we don't have to ever admit that we have weaknesses. It feels like a natural thing to do, but what we need to realize is that every time we diminish our weaknesses, what we're doing in parallel is diminishing the strength of Christ. Because if it's a strength, if I'm considering it to be a strength for me, then I don't need the strength of Christ. But that's where strength and weakness comes in, that when we acknowledge that we have this weakness, that's where God swoops in and he has the ability to come and meet us in the weakness and we come to realize and experience what his strength is all about. But when we resist it, we never come to experience the fullness of all that he has in store for us. And how often do we live there? How often have I lived there? Trying to live from strength to strength, 
ignoring and covering up weaknesses, all the while resisting the power of God. We don't see it that way. We see it as just sort of protecting our reputation. But what we're doing is we're resisting the power of God. We need to ask ourselves, am I more interested in making a name for myself or making a difference for Christ? That should lead us in the direction that he would have us to go. So instead of hiding the things that challenge you, what would it look like to acknowledge your fears? To acknowledge your failures. Because here's the thing. If you want to have influence before other people, it's not showing them this steel exterior, showing them this, this perfect life where you've got no problems, everything's all great. If you want to have influence, you're going to have to learn to be vulnerable. What would it look like for you to acknowledge before others that there's pain? That you've got problems? That you have doubts? Do you ever have doubts? I have doubts sometimes. We need to be willing to live who we really are if we want to have the opportunity to, to speak into life, we need to be willing to live out of our weaknesses. Hiding our weaknesses, it only makes us unapproachable. Allowing others in to see them, that makes us real. I think it's Craig Grishel who says it this way. People may admire you for your strengths, but they'll connect with you through your weaknesses. I know we all have an inclination to hide what's going on inside from view, but the cost of biblical love goes to any length. It's driven by purpose, and it puts others first. I understand it's not the most comfortable way to live, but it is the most meaningful. So I would just ask you, are you willing to live in your weakness? Are you willing to allow other people to see that you're relatable? That you might just understand where they are and that out of that weakness, you'll be able to see the power of Christ swoop in, make a difference in you and in the world around you. I pray that this is a direction that we're willing to go because Paul has demonstrated for us here that he's willing to not even put his best resume on the table, but to put the one that's going to connect him most and give him the greatest opportunity for influencing people in need of moving toward Christ to do just that. It's the cost of love. Are you willing to pay it? Our Heavenly Father, I stand at the head of the line to acknowledge that I can fall into this trap of trying to make everything look good, of being unwilling to acknowledge weakness, of trying to cover it up, 
Lord, I just pray that you'd convict all of us. That we would recognize that, that weakness is actually the primary doorway we have through which to experience strength. Yet how often do we lock that door? Or today we want to unlock it. Jar it open and throw away the key so that we might live out the weakness, not, not because there's shame in it, but because there's hope of finding you in it. Lord, I do pray that in the relationships that we're in, where we have opportunity to do what Paul has done and be willing to endure the offense and step forward and make a difference and love that person, even if we're justified in the anger and the hurt that we feel, that we wouldn't just be limited from a willingness to do so because of our own personal response, but that we'd be motivated to do it because it aligns us more completely with you. So Lord, humble us, cause the priority of living according to your purposes to rise up in us so that we might live out the cost of love as you did, as Paul models, that it might be alive and evident in us as well, for we know through it you'll be glorified and we'll find the greatest meaning we've ever had. Lord, may that be how we move forward from this moment, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I do pray that we would be willing to entertain what that requires of us in that relationship that you're thinking of with that person are you willing to go there are you willing to make a difference and live out the cost of love i pray so hey before you go just a couple of reminders one is that on your way out take those connect cards drop them in the offering buckets along the walls at the doors also, you can put your offering in there, and we would invite you to do so. On your way out the doors, there are also the outreach bags. You can pick those up. You can take them with you this week. Be sure to bring them back next week, and we'll have all of those, those resources for that particular trip. And don't forget about the business meeting for all of you who are members, 4 o'clock on Sunday. And uh, we just need you to look at your email and find that link and uh, tune in at that time. And we need everybody to participate. If you're a member, please, please participate. Join us in that, and uh, we'll be able to get done the things that are in front of us. Also, if you'd like to pray with somebody, come on down before you go. I think that's about it. Hey, thanks so much for coming. Appreciate all of you. May the Lord bless you as you go.